I'm going to start with a question for you. Uh, hands up if you went to ch- uh, not church, you're here. Um, hands up if you went to school. <laughs> Anyone who didn't? A couple of you, that's interesting, isn't it? When you were at school, did you get like, playtime and break times and things like that? Yeah. The, the older you get, it's not so much playtime then, is it? But um, it's called break time the older you get, because we, we get more sophisticated the older we get, don't we? But every time there was a playtime or a break time at the school I was at, I would be found in the cage, the concrete cage, playing football, or on the field playing football. Anyone with me? Come on. What sort of rabble is this here this morning? You'd either be on the football field playing football, or you'd be around the back of the bike sheds having a crafty cigarette. Anyone? You can't do both, Stuart. You can't play football with a cigarette in your mouth. Now, can you remember, for the picking of the football teams, what we used to do? Can you remember? Anyone who played football? Two people would come out, and then they'd, they'd select and take it in turns and pick from the crowd of boys and sometimes girls that were there. I would often be one of those that picked because I was quite good at football, um, but I didn't do it every single time. But I do remember one occasion where everyone was being picked, and I was choosing, and then they'd join my team, and that, my friend would pick and he'd join his team. And the last one left on this one occasion was my brother. I'm the eldest of three. He's four years younger than me. And he just stood there like this, like always the last one. I always felt sorry for the one that was picked last or near the end. It was good for the self-confidence when you're picked quickly for these things, right? And I thought to myself, I don't want, I don't want my brother in my team. So I had to pick him because it was my turn. So instead of putting him in the team, I made him stand there as a goalpost for the whole of the playtime. And he stood there like this. He got hit a couple of times, but he was my goalpost. He was quite good at that actually. In fact, David is so bad at football, I wouldn't even trust him to kick the bucket when it's time for him to go, you know? Picking last. We just read the story of uh, the account of Judas, where John announces in his gospel that Judas was the one that would betray Jesus. And we're going to see a little bit later on as well that when Jesus chose the disciples, it is Judas Iscariot that is chosen last. And this is Palm Sunday. What was happening on Palm Sunday in the heart and mind of Judas? This one who never had his expectations met uh, by Jesus, by the character, the Messiah in front of him. What was going on in his mind? This same character who actually took the bread from the hand of Jesus at the communion table, the Last Supper. Do you remember that? Now, last week, Eric showed a picture of delicious Brussels sprouts. Genius of the internet was that I was able to see and watch Eric's excellent sermon last week. And he showed delicious, glistening with butter, cooked Brussels sprouts, one of my favorites. What he should have shown is the really nasty one that nobody likes, celery. Nasty, crunchy, smelly. I call them the devil's fingers. Nasty things they are. 
Why did Jesus make them? I don't know. Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, is the Brussels sprout of the, of the disciples. He's the stick of celery. He's the one that not many people really like. He's named last in the 12 disciples. In John chapter 6, 60 to 71, Jesus' teaching is so difficult that the majority of the crowd beyond the disciples leave Jesus. They walk away. And then, ironically, John chapter 6, verse 66, the number of the beast typically has this. Because of this difficult teaching, many of his disciples, his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What an apt verse and chapter number to have for a verse where people turn away and say, sorry, too difficult. This is too much for me to bear. And in verse 70, Jesus says, did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet... One of you is a devil. Wow, strong language. One of you is a devil. He was speaking, of course, of Judas Iscariot, the text says, for although Judas was one of the twelve specially selected by Jesus, John's gospel tells us Judas was going to betray him. So we get an insight now that the disciples didn't have. When we read the gospel, we get that insight that in real time, in the real lives of the disciples, they didn't have. They didn't know that this was going to happen. But Jesus knew from day one. He knew and he still loved Judas. He still gave him the bread. Just go back to the first one a minute, Carl. This is a football match. When, When someone sells out a football club, the fans call the the betrayer, the traitor, Judas. Anyone name any of our kids Judas these days? The name Judas is so bad, we don't even name our dogs Judas, do we? So the New Testament is very clear that Judas, Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him. And not only does Jesus have clarity on these kind of human relationships, But the Bible never, ever shies away from these challenges and difficulties. In fact, it's it's like it shines a light on our difficulties. And we can hear God in the light saying, step into the light, be made whole. Walk with me. And so today is Palm Sunday. The crowds are cheering and celebrating today. Almost certainly they would have been in the crowds shouting crucify, crucify, just a few days later. How quick a crowd turns. Shows the fragility of democracy, doesn't it? If the majority are shouting, Hosanna to the son of David one day, well, yes, he's the son of David. Why? Because most of the people say so. Crucify him, crucify him. A few days later, Well, this must be democracy too, because the majority of the crowd has said it. Yes, let's get rid of this fellow. He's no good for us. Shows the fragility, doesn't it, of the crowd. 
And it can also show the madness of the crowd as well. So the crowds are cheering and celebrating Jesus riding into Jerusalem as a peaceable king on this donkey, a conquering king coming in peace. I wonder how many times we've celebrated a person in our lives only to metaphorically crucify them for not meeting our expectations. Churches run a special risk of this, of course, because of the nature of the language and the roles that people have. But how close we can come, and the Bible shines its light on these things that go on in our hearts. Because Judas had a difference of opinion about who Jesus would be. He wanted a certain type of Messiah. In the same way that when you get married, let's say, you want a certain type of husband or a certain type of wife. I got married 32 years ago, 33 years ago this year. Rachel's not the same person I married. Well, she is the same person I married. (laughs) But she's changed. I've changed. We've grown. You've changed. You've grown too. Through life's ups and downs... Think of the, the pain caused when you say to someone, I want you to change to my expectations, but I don't need to change. So Judas had this difference of opinion. And there is no doubt that in some way he felt seriously let down by Jesus himself. Judas felt let down by Jesus. Now there's a thought. Have you ever felt that? It's a real question. Because God does not always do what we say or pray or ask. Does he? He's with you for sure, and we'll see more of that later on. He's with you for sure, but he will not conform to our whims and our expectations And I've just caught Simona's eye. Next week when Simona is baptized in this very pool here, she is going to be saying to the church and the world, not my expectations, but yours, O Christ. Not my will be done, but yours, O Christ. Your way, God, not my way. As she goes in the water and dies to self and rises again to that new life in Christ. So do be praying for her, especially this coming week, and church especially in the weeks afterwards, right? Because the devil doesn't like stuff like baptisms. And we'll see that in time, when Judas decided to make his move, the devil entered into him and was, was, was enacting his rebellion through Judas. And that's why Judas decided he would take action. He would, he would essentially do what Jesus resisted in the wilderness. He would force God's hand. What did the devil say in the third temptation in Luke chapter 4? If you jump off the pinnacle of the temple, the psalm says that God will send his angels to save you. So it's in the Bible, Jesus. Why don't you jump and force God's hand? What did Jesus say? Anyone? Oh, that was good, wasn't it, that one? 
Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Was that Mary? Where are you, Mary? Is it this right? No, but it's one. I just love the way you said it. That was brilliant. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. In other words, we are not free to force God to action, either by our prayers or our tears or our fasting or our weeping. We are not at liberty to change who God is, to fit our needs, to suit our whims. This is the problem that Judas had. He was probably thinking on Palm Sunday, now the king will reign. What's he doing on a donkey? I don't get this. It didn't quite work out that way for him, did it? So in other words, the devil tried to force Jesus or tempt Jesus to force God's hand to action. So Jesus resisted the devil and the devil fled. And notice in Luke 4, it says the devil left him until an opportune time. And so, when we come to the Last Supper, we see that Satan entered Judas. That's the opportunity. And God is still going to outsmart him because the devil thinks that by getting rid of Jesus that God's plan will fail. What a mug. He's a murderer, he's a liar, he's a cheat, he's a coward. And he will never outsmart the purposes of God, even when it seems that God's plans have completely failed. And so when, by the time we come to the Last Supper and Satan enters into Judas very soon after he takes this morsel of bread from Jesus' own hand, we see that Satan entered into him and now suddenly the devil is back. This is the opportune time to rid the world of this so-called Messiah. He knows that he can't force Jesus to be tempted, but he can tempt Judas to try and force Jesus, right? Major mistake. Major mistake. So, he had a difference of opinion and we often have differences of opinion, don't we, in our life of our church at, at this biblical level? Expectations not met. And we also have difference of opinions at our personal level, in our relationships. This is unavoidable in human social contact. Of course it's unavoidable. Acts 15 tells us that Paul parted company with Barnabas. They went their separate ways because they simply couldn't agree together on a certain matter. They made friends later and reconciled later, but they had to have that distance of time between their, their dispute to settle. And God used both in the service of the gospel. Praise God! And yet in time brought healing to the broken relationship. And sometimes these situations are unavoidable. Doug Wilson, a pastor in America, says... People are called to holy relating whilst also budgeting for the reality of sin. We must relate well. The Bible is about relating faith, loving God with heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving neighbor as you love yourself. The whole thing hangs on relationships, right relationships. But we budget for the reality of sin. Because 
I'm not the finished article, and you're not the finished article. Unless anybody would like to surprise us all and stand up and say, you are. No. So we budget for the reality of sin in this life that we've been given. And that's a grace from God, because it goes both ways. It's not just from me to you, it's you to me and you to each other. It's the reality of sin, knowing that none of us are perfected. There was a 19th century Anglican evangelical bishop. Now, I know that's a rare thing these days, so I'm going to say that again. (laughs) There was a 19th century evangelical bishop. Are you listening, bishops in the Anglican church? Come on, step up. Called J.C. Ryle. And he said, Controversy is an odious thing, but there are days when it is a positive duty. Peace is an excellent thing, but like gold, it may be, brought, may be bought too dear. Unity is a mighty blessing, but it is worthless if purchased at the cost of truth. For, the, for our Anglican brothers and sisters, we pray that last one especially. Unity is a mighty blessing, but it's worthless if it's purchased at the cost of truth. And so... To read the Gospels is to see all of this playing out directly from the mouth of Jesus himself. Do you want to leave too? And the crowds leave. Division. Broken relationships. To the twelve, do you want to leave too? We'll come to Peter's response in a moment. Because the Gospel puts Christians on multiple collision courses with the world and the flesh, and the devil who will wait for an opportune time in your life. The devil left Jesus until an opportune time. And he waits for for the same opportunity in us too. To strike. Isn't it when we are at our most vulnerable? We are most easily persuaded to sin. When we are at our weakest. And so the truth of the matter is simple. Jesus chose Judas. He loved him. He gave him bread. He allowed Judas to even kiss his cheek in the garden. A sign of love. A sign of friendship. A sign of trust. And the betrayer's kiss now has rolled down 2,000 years of history as one of the most awful things done. Judas is a very unpopular name these days, as I've said. I've never met anyone called Judas, much like I've never met anyone called Adolf. No one even names their dogs, do they, as I said, after these two characters now. They're not even worthy to be named after our beasts. But we all have the capacity for malevolent evil. God chose Judas when he could so easily have chosen me, right? God chose Judas when he could so easily have chosen you. Let that just sink in, church. We are not immune from these things except by 
being grafted into the vine, being filled with the Spirit of Christ and walking with Him and trusting in Him to enable the devil to flee from us. So, we all have the capacity for this evil. We all have the capacity to wage war as the world wages war, to manipulate Jesus as the world manipulates Jesus. Lord, deliver us from manipulation of the divine in our social relationships, in the material world, in every way that Jesus passed the temptations in the wilderness. Deliver us from these ways, Lord, we pray. And last week, Eric made mention of a schoolboy. Do you remember this? Anyone here last week? Were you all here for the first time? Last week was the last time. But last week, Eric told you all of a, of a schoolboy sent home for refusing to acknowledge someone's alternative gender to male or female. Now, some people say that there are over 70 genders. <laughs> Listen, something really satanic is going on in our culture, and it's affecting our schools. This boy was sent home for saying there is only a male and female, and I'm not going to refer to you in the pronouns that you want. A schoolboy sent home in this country. The devil waits for an opportune time, and he's all over our schools. Where our grandchildren are, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. Anyone got great-great-grandchildren at school, at schools? Pray for them. They're getting this. They might be in the classroom where one of their friends is sent home for saying, I'm not going to call you they, them. It's he, her. It is so toxic, church. So Eric mentioned this last week. This is in the UK. And so I want to say, church, that the fight is on. The principalities and powers are making themselves so obvious in our day. Almost comically obvious. And the spirit of Judas is everywhere because the devil is lying and distorting and manipulating everything. This is, in our culture, an opportune time. Now, from schoolboys that have been sent home to arrests for privately praying in Birmingham, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, a Methodist theological tutor was sacked <laughs> for daring to suggest and uphold the biblical view of marriage, a theology lecturer at a Methodist college church. I'm not making this stuff up. He was sat for affirming that God made them male and female. Vodi Baucom said, People send their kids to be taught by Rome for eight hours a day and wonder why they come home as Romans. Think on that. So the temperature is rising, but praise God, Jesus rises higher. Right? A few, a few weeks ago, I watched a, a B movie, like a... It was really naff, actually. It was called Eye of the Tiger. Don't check it out. Well, you can. It's, it's, it's a good... It's, it's, it was rubbish. <laughs> but in it, there was a line in it that I liked, which I, I put, put, put the line, this quote in my quote app on my phone. And it says, someone said, it doesn't matter how we wish things were. 
It matters how we deal with how things are. This is a massive challenge for the church. A nostalgic glance back at the last few decades of our lives or a lost past that we long to claim, it's gone. We, God has placed us now to deal with things how, how they are now. There's no place for head in the sand. No place at all. It's very possible that within a few months or very few short years, what I've just said in the last two minutes could put me in prison. Because I do affirm that God made them male and female. Now, there are all sorts of complexities around this, for sure. But we have to understand the indoctrination that is taking place from the schools up in our culture. So it doesn't matter how things were, how we wish they were. It matters how we deal with how things are. How are things for you, beloved? How are things for you? Are you tortured by an ideal lost world that you want to come back? Are you disheveled and disorientated in an ever-increasingly crazy world? And it does seem, for those who have the finger on the pulse of culture, reading, as Jesus said, the signs of the times, that it is extremely erratic and crazy? Or do you survive by a kind of head-in-the-sand approach to life? Because (laughs) if we have our head in the sand, our own kids will very soon have their heads on the block. Hopefully, just metaphorically, if not actually. We need to be aware of these things. And so, as we approach communion in a moment, just ponder this. When Judas kissed Jesus on the cheek, Laura sometimes kisses me on the cheek. Sometimes she goes crazy. And she kisses me, my cheeks, one side, one side, my chin, my lips, my nose, my forehead, my eyes, my ears, my throat. Then she does it again. And it's always when I'm rushing out the door. It's very, but I love it. There's something tender and loving about that. A kiss on the cheek, but something strange happened. Jesus was simultaneously surrounded by the mob and deserted by friends. He was before the kiss, surrounded by friends. What a lovely place to be. Surrounded by friends. There are moments when you will be a friend that needs to be surrounded, and there will be times when you will need to be part of a crowd of friends that surrounds someone else. Surrounded by the mob who would cry and try him and cry crucify. And still Jesus is saviour to all. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. We're going to play in a moment a song called Surrounded. As as our prayer into communion. It has a line, which is the reason why I want to do this that says, it may look like I'm surrounded. Think of Jesus now. Friends have gone. The, 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 the mob have surrounded him. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. 
as in God, right? It may look like I'm surrounded by my enemies, but God, you, you surround me. And so even when surrounded by enemies, Almighty God, your Father surrounds you in life's trials. And once again, the faithlessness of Judas is matched, met, and raised by the faithfulness of Christ for you. Isn't that good news, church? So even if we are betrayed or falsely accused or gossiped about or slandered or even hung out to dry, or if the demands of the gospel sometimes seem just too much, as if you would expect anything less from God, (laughs) right? If it seems too much, we remember what Peter said in John 6, 68 and 69, when Jesus said to him, do you want to leave as well, guys? What did Peter say? This is my last word on this, and then we play the song. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we believe and know that you, Jesus, are the Holy One of God. He refused to flee. But there would be a time when Peter did flee and lie and cower. But Jesus raised him up too. Glory be to Jesus Christ. The song is about four minutes. Use this as a prayer. There is repetition, like some of the Psalms. That's okay. I encourage you to enter into the the heart of the song. When I am surrounded, I'm surrounded by you.